0: The future is built by us, says Klaus Schwab, chairman of the World Economic Forum, a very powerful non-governmental organization that is determined to lead us into a transition process to a whole new world. A great reset, you might say. And in fact, he does say, you will own nothing, you will eat the bugs, and you'll be happy. Speaking of eating bugs, COP27, the UN Climate Summit is still going on, but soon to wrap up. And I've got some bad news. We're on a climate highway to hell, and you must repent for your sins, which means paying up and learning to live with less, because we need to think of the children. And a G20 summit is also going on, where powerful but useless bureaucrats get together to scheme up ways to take away your liberty and ruin your life. Uh, The latest, all G20 nations, except for one, surprise to come, has agreed in principle to a, quote, global health passport. You thought the pandemic was over because Biden said so before the election? It's not going to matter. We'll get you up to speed on all of this and more on episode 372 of the In the Tank podcast. All right. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. I am your host, Jim Lakely. I'm the vice president of the Heartland Institute. Our usual host, Donald Kendall, is absent today. He's actually meeting with another usual podcast uh, participant, Justin Haskins, down in Dallas with uh, the one and only Glenn Beck. Hoping to hear a report back from them next week. So let's go around the horn. We have a a little bit of some fresh faces on the podcast this week. First, our usual regulars, Chris Talgo. Senior editor here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, Chris?
1: Doing good. And uh, J- uh, Jim, when you mentioned the uh, "Highway to Hell" quote from uh, COP 27, it immediately uh, immediately made me think about the ACDC song. And I, I, I really hope they weren't playing that when when they had that uh you know that guy come out on stage. That that, that would be a you know a slap in the face to ACDC. dc Yeah, right, definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have it in my head, too, except I see uh, Beavis and Butthead doing this to ACDC. So if you bring up Beavis (laughs) and Butthead when it comes to uh, uh, our global leaders, I think that's right on the money. Also joining us today is Linnea Lukin. She's a research fellow for climate and energy here at the Heartland Institute. How are you today, Linnea?
2: I'm doing just fine, Jim. Thank you.
0: Glad to have you here, and especially when we're going to be talking a lot of COP27 today. I know you've been watching that very closely. And also joining us today is our Director of Publications at the Heartland Institute, Sam Karnick. Sam, welcome to the podcast again. It's been a while. Thanks, Jim. It has. And uh, I'm very eager to uh,
3: you know, say uh, very interesting things that will offend as many people as possible.
0: Well, we'll see how it goes. I mean, that's a promise now. You got to keep up with it. Uh, And actually, I'm I'm actually wondering uh, what kind of warning label we're going to get on this uh, this video here, the video version of the podcast on YouTube. Is it going to be a COVID warning label? Is it going to be a climate change warning label? Is it going to be a great reset? warning label. So uh, (laughs) we'll see. I don't know if they could put all three in at once. Maybe they can have a GIF running and they just have all the warnings going on. Uh, But uh, this is the part of the podcast where Donald Kendall usually says, if you are listening to this on uh, iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or, you know, just the audio version of this podcast, you can tune in live on the Heartland Institute's YouTube channel. The Heartland Institute is all you need to search for on youtube.com. We are uh, we do the show live every Thursday at noon Central Time, and if you are watching this right now, or watching, you know, well, you're watching it either live now or you're watching a recording of it later. Please hit that subscribe button, that it like the video, and share it with your friends. Uh, That helps us fight the algorithm that is constantly suppressing us when we talk about well, what we're going to be talking about on the show today. Uh, So uh, another request from Donald, and he is the he's the regular host of this podcast. So I'm going to honor his request. He wanted our opening banter to be about Donald Trump deciding to run for president, probably the the least surprising news of the week. (laughs) But uh, we talked a little bit about Donald Trump last week. And uh, Chris, are you excited, terrified, or meh about Donald Trump running for president?
1: Uh, So I saw uh, Ron DeSantis' comments about this because he has been getting all sorts of questions from the mainstream media about 2024. And I'm going to basically just echo what he said. We all need (laughs) to chill out. Okay, this uh, the 2022 midterm election is still not even over. We still don't know a bunch of races in California. We still don't know the outcome of the Senate because of the uh, the runoff that's going to happen in uh, December in uh, Georgia. So, can we all just take a giant breath? And also, also, let's let's focus on governing before we already look to the next election. So, I'm just gonna I, I'm just gonna avoid this altogether. I. Don't think we should even be thinking, talking about 2024, not not for for months.
0: Yeah, well, I I have somebody in my family who you you could not. I don't think you could really be a bigger Trump fan than this family member of mine is. Uh, She's devoted, uh, you know, not devoted her life to him, but you know, she's about as. A bigger Trump fan as you can get. She doesn't walk around wearing MAGA stuff all over the place. But you know, she's been a big, she was a big Trump fan. She loved his presidency. Um, I am a big Trump fan. Donnie is a big Trump fan, or was or has been, you know, now I guess the 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 jury is out. But this person in my family, Sam karnick she said, you know, pretty much I'm done. Uh, you know, she watched the uh, you know, his speech. Uh, this week saying that he's running for president uh an announcement i think it went on for two hours i mean you know (laughs) i saw one criticism even from a trump fan it's like you know you can deliver a speech without going on for two and a half hours what do you think you are castro but you know i think i think for a lot of people you know i guess speaking for myself i think trump served a very important purpose when he ran in 2015 and when he won the presidency in 2016. Uh, and I'm starting to get much more into the thinking, Sam, that uh, he served his purpose. Well done. Uh, we, You know, you don't need to run. You don't need to be president again.
3: I've long thought that the Republicans should uh, tell Donald Trump that he was just an absolutely fantastic president and he did a great job and that he what he did for the economy and uh, reducing regulation and lowering taxes were all fantastic things. What he did for the Supreme Court was great. And um, thank you very much. And let's see what happens. For me, as you can probably tell from what I was just saying, I'm really interested in the policy side of things. I'm not that concerned about personality. And I I believe that Trump was a a terrific president who, uh, unfortunately, could not do anywhere near as much as he would as he apparently would have liked to do that said what he accomplished was terrific the one thing he did that is possibly irreplaceable though is that he really encapsulated the difference between the sort of world economic forum elite Hmm. uh, uh mindset and the sort of populist mindset of the american people uh, i think that uh, as daniel mccarthy has written populists won this the elections this year and that's an important thing because we are on uh, we are we're always on the verge of uh, a, a an elite takeover of of our government and and incredible amounts of incursions on our civil liberties uh th- we're always on the verge of that And what Trump did that was so interesting was de-emphasize in his talk the the, the fealty to free markets, and yet in his policies, he was 100% a free market guy. And I think Mm -hmm. that's important because to me, what that indicates is it's an assumption on the right that free markets are a good thing and we have to have them. That's the assumption. But that does not mean that every corporation is good, that every institution is healthy or anything of the sort. So what I think Trump brought to the table is something that may be irreplaceable, which is that sense that it is the, the elites, the big government against the people. If someone like Ron DeSantis or another individual of either party or a new party can uh, can make that argument and make that case, then I think we will have much better policy going forward and we'll have a much better uh, nation and world. That said, we're on the brink of a disaster right now, and it may be that that nobody can save what uh, uh, can save us. From the consequences of the last couple of elections. Yeah,
0: yeah Lenny, anything to add, on, uh, add about that? I mean, he D- Trump definitely was a disruptive force. I mean, he was the first true outsider president, uh, certainly in your lifetime, and maybe even mine. I mean, the closest we could probably get would be Ronald Reagan, but he was hardly an outsider. He was, you know, two-term. I think two-term governor of California and been in politics for a long time.
2: Hmm. Right. Um, in terms of popularity, sure. Uh, so I've gone back and forth on this a lot. Um, and I am deeply skeptical of some of the push that's been going on in the media. And even DeSantis himself, like you mentioned earlier, um, has asked people to pump the brakes on the feud narrative that has been generated over the last nine months or so. Donald Trump, I think, is legitimately the only person who is has it in him and has the financial freedom to stand up to these people. Uh, I do not think that there is a single other candidate, regardless of Trump's imperfections on certain policy issues or um, his temperament, if people don't like that. I personally, most of the things that people don't like about Trump in regards to temperament, I actually like a lot uh, because it's real. It's not this like fakey, weird stage stuff. But I have seen a lot of stuff with like the Lincoln Project's fingers all over it, pushing the idea of DeSantis for president over Trump and saying that Trump's time has passed, you know, blah, blah, blah. If he's getting too old, if there's legitimately an issue there, then if we see that, then that might be a reason to reconsider. But at this point, I am all in for Trump again. Um, I, I, if it ends up, you know, I don't think that there's making peace in politics. It feels like they're trying to drag us back into that pre-2016 Republican Party where everyone is like, "Ah, well, you know, all immigration is good for the United States at all levels. And, um, you know, we're we're there's no problem whatsoever from the illegal immigration, except that maybe it's going to cause an issue, you know, with our social services or whatever it happens to be. All those stodgy old (laughs) old things that. I'm not confident that DeSantis has it in him to revitalize that same kind of groundswell approach that Trump has. Um, I, I'm just I'm just not convinced that anyone else can do it. And if that means Trump gets in and then immediately is firing everyone in the administrative state, then that is absolutely epic. <laughs> and that's what I want to see happen. Um, you know, and almost every policy issue that people can take with Trump has also applies to DeSantis. DeSantis, let's not forget, was in favor of red flag laws.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, no candidate is perfect. Yeah,
2: there's no <laughs> such thing as a perfect candidate. I, am, right. I would be extremely pleased if Trump got in again, assuming that he maintains his wherewithal. Um, I think that it's extremely obvious that he is still the only real threat, considering the left has been kind of pushing DeSantis as well. Um, I think that the fact that they're still investigating him and desperately trying to make it illegal for him to run again means a lot more than uh, people will be willing to admit. So I'm going to I'm going to take the the other side of the spectrum path of our group here, and I'm going to say, let's go, Trump. He announced that he's running. DeSantis has not announced that he is running. I am all in for Trump.
0: All right. Well, we got... uh... One meh, two no's, and one yeah, hell yeah. And uh, I think the only thing scarier to the media and to the uh, ruling class the United States than the first Trump presidency is a second Trump presidency where he doesn't have to run for re-election again. So <laughs> we'll see. He would definitely be arrested at that point, though, but we can maybe talk about that at another, <laughs> another point in time, because we have a lot to cover in this podcast today. So Let's start with COP27. So this is called, it's the Conference of the Parties. It's the United Nations uh, annual huge climate summit. We have uh, the global elite flying in on private jets from all over the world. This time they are in a resort town. It's always someplace really nice. A resort town in Egypt. I think I saw 400, I saw a report of 400 private jets coming in. So you're going to have to eat bugs. Uh, You're going to have to wear sweaters and uh, maybe even a winter coat in your home uh great britain i just saw an alert today great britain has the highest energy prices they have ever ever had (laughs) highest in history so uh and that's just starting and the winter's barely even got going so you know the global elites they get to uh, do what they want live the way they want but uh you're gonna have to adjust the way you live your lives and uh so the secretary general of the united nations antonio gutierrez uh he got to of course address uh all the uh, elites that showed up at cop 27 and uh yeah as we mentioned in the opening of the podcast uh when you hear this video you should probably have acdc uh in your head all day andy want to go ahead and uh, hit that pretty crazy clip one
4: is ticking we are in the fight of our lives and we are losing Greenhouse gas emissions keep growing, global temperatures keep rising and our planet is fast approaching tipping points that will make climate chaos irreversible. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. The two largest economies, the United States and China, have a particular responsibility to join efforts to make this pact a reality. And this is our only hope of meeting our climate goals. Humanity has a choice, cooperate or perish. It is either a climate solidarity pact or a collective suicide pact.
0: All right, Linnea, you heard it. We're either uh, doing a, you know, we're either getting together on the climate or uh, we're committing collective suicide uh, as a as a world, as as a species. Apparently, uh, <laughs> uh, you, I mean, you you are on our. You know, this show is airs live every Thursday at noon Central Time. Climate Change Roundtable, which Linnea is always on, uh, airs every Friday at noon Central Time. Uh, and I don't know if you'll be talking about quite that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be talking a little bit about COP twenty twenty seven, but you present. And others, and Anthony Watts and Sterling Burnett and Andy Singer present uh, evidence that shows we are actually not in a the climate fight for our lives. That the that the that our civilization is not in peril because of a warming temperatures. So what? So what? Did you laugh when you heard that we're on a climate highway to hell? I mean, I guess the whoever wrote that in his speech should probably get a raise
2: no unfortunately i don't find any of this funny (laughs) it's it's considering the policies that were pushed at this conference um And the fact that a lot of people, especially young people, believe them that we're hurtling towards apocalypse, it is not funny. People are legitimately frightened. People legitimately do not know the science, the background of the data that actually shows that for the most part, there's either been no change or a decline in extreme weather events over the last Mm -hmm. hundred years or so. Um, the, The ideas that he's promoting are based off of scenarios and models that they fully understand are over exaggerating. There's one in particular that they tend to use, um, RCPA 0.5, which also is used in a lot of um, uh, other research papers from basically every area of science. So you'll get, you know, a, a biology paper about some some species. How will climate change affect this? Sp- species. And they'll use a few different models. They'll use a lower end one and they'll use something like RCP 8.5 as their high end. And this is implying that RCP 8.5 is possible. But that model is based on an idea of burning more coal every year than the planet has inside of it. It's it's literally not possible for that kind of um, emission scenario. But they call it the slightly above um business as usual pathway Mm -hmm. it is not it is impossible fantasy land but that is what they use to scare the pants off people on this issue they say you know oh we're gonna increase our temperature by like nine degrees by 2100 that's not gonna happen (laughs) and uh to get there is like i said literally impossible um So there is no apocalypse. Um, Luckily, more and more climate scientists from major universities have started to speak out and kind of tell their colleagues um, in open letters in major publications saying like, hey, we really ought to stop emphasizing the worst case scenario models because it's basically impossible. And um, it's causing a huge disconnect between the way that the media covers climate change and what the data actually shows
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you you see uh uh, i I saw another story this week i think again from britain that uh school children in the united kingdom are technically and report being depressed about their future because of this this bs this propaganda this alarmist propaganda they're being fed by no i mean no smaller authority than the United Nations, which, you know, in its own heirs, thinks it rules the world.
1: Well, Jim, uh, it's also happening here because in the in the election last week, we saw that young Americans voted overwhelmingly in favor of climate change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, say, that, that was no, one of their
1: top issues.
0: Right. I mean, Sam, 30 years of indoctrination. Uh, if you if you keep at it for three decades, uh, you, you probably get some uh, some return on that.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: It's really a fascinating matter when you think about it, because
3: there is so little uh, substance to it, but it is all about scaring people into uh, action. So it's like uh, like uh, they look at the human beings as a herd of horses. Uh, horses. The reason horses run is because they are scared so what you do is you you throw a a bunch of firecrackers into a into a bunch of horses and they'll stampede the same with cattle then they that's how they treat us but the interesting thing to uh, on top of that is that they uh, very much dislike coal uh and it just so happens that the united states is as oh so much coal so uh that uh, that indicates a transfer of wealth from the United States in particular, to the rest of the world. Um, that's what all these things are about. They're about wealth wealth transfer. If you look at what they're proposing to do, it's that we will monetize carbon, by which they mean carbon dioxide, which is right. universal. So they're not really monetizing that. What they're monetizing is forests and oceans and uh, or, or lakes or whatever, but they're monetizing things that that uh, take carbon dioxide in and don't let it out. So what that does is takes money from, as they say, the industrialized north of the northern hemisphere and take brings the money down to the less industrialized southern hemisphere. Again, accident? No, that's what it's all about. This is all about wealth transfer has nothing to do with with keeping the temperature where, where do you get the 1.5 degrees Celsius number where do you get that it's just it's it's just really such a weird coincidence that it's such a round number 1.5 and where you get that is because you look at it and you say if we have this number it's something that people can remember very well and we say that's what we're going to shoot for and so you say in order to do that, We have to shut down the entire uh, economy of the Northern Hemisphere and send all and send all our spare money, which is any money that isn't already in the hands of billionaires down to the Southern Hemisphere. This is something that is not going to play very well with the public when the consequences start to roll around and they will. But that's how elites work. They never, ever, ever understand the second order, third order and so on, nth order, consequences of their actions. Yeah. Because they always expect to adjust as needed by using their power.
0: Yeah. Uh, Chris, I'm going to come to you with this, but I will first want to read. Uh, it's in the show notes. This is a story uh, in The Independent, which is a, a British publication. Uh, the title is Stop This Crime Against Life. Children at COP27 Call for End to Illegal Mining and Deforestation. Uh, And so I'm going to scroll down through here and read a little bit of this, and uh, I'm sure Andy will show it up here on the screen, including the pictures of these kids, uh, which is interesting. Uh, Stop illegal mining, educate all children about climate change, and increase finance for countries on the front lines of the crisis. These are among the demands of children from across the world who have come to COP27 determined to see results in tackling a worsening crisis that they have felt compelled to address at such an early age. Governments should act now, said Francisco Vera, a 13-year-old climate activist from Colombia. Don't be remembered as the ones who allowed this crime against life to unfold. A delegation of seven children from different countries arrived at COP27 this week to join the Children and Youth Pavilion, the first ever dedicated space for children and young people at a UN climate conference. Francisco said he'd come to reclaim the voices of children in the climate debate, a discussion that will inevitably impact future generations the most. Uh, scrolling down a little bit here, uh, Francisco says, uh, not only because there are one or two children around, but because we have the chance to advocate for children's rights, he said through a translator. Uh, the climate crisis is a child's rights crisis, he said, speaking uh, of the children around the world who have been forced to leave their homes in part due to the climate crisis. Uh, just as an aside, the climate crisis is a child's rights crisis. What 13 year old speaks like that? even through an interpreter. Uh, That person has been coached to be, uh, by adults, to be the face of a a radical agenda. Uh, He says that he's faced threats in Colombia for his activism, but he's forging ahead. What a brave uh, little young man. Um, Asked what he wanted to see achieved during the negotiations in Egypt. He He listed his demands, more ambition and accountability from the countries most responsible for the climate crisis i.e. the global north. That'd be uh, you and me and most people listening to this uh, to this podcast, people in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, joining Francisco was 13-year-old Sophia mejia Cadavid from Dominican Republic. She says, quote, Kids want a space where we have the opportunity to be a part of campaigns and actions for climate change. We're usually ignored. Yeah, really? Okay. Uh, and she says it's also our home, so we have, uh, we have the right to fight for it. Uh, and she wraps up here. Our planet is just beautiful, and it's just so easy to love it. I want all the kids of the, in the world to also fall in love with it, so they can have this passion to fight for it, since we're really destroying our Earth. Uh, Chris, the reason I wanted I read all that in that story from the Independent, and again, it's in the show notes, so people can read it for themselves, is that the headline uh, caught my caught my eye because the headline in the story says that children at cop 27 call for end to illegal mining and deforestation um, these same children would demand and i'm sure they're demanding and they can't wait when they're old enough to get their driver's license to drive only electric cars they would ban the internal combustion engine tomorrow if they could they can't understand why we dumb adults uh won't agree to this uh, to this very simple solution uh but of course how are electric cars powered by batteries? Um, how much earth needs to be pulled out of the ground to make just one Tesla battery? The answer is five hundred thousand tons, and the um, uh, the rare earth minerals that are pulled out of the ground is uh, is largely done by child labor in Africa. So uh, you see these uh, well dressed, well coached, articulate children who show up at the uh, COP twenty seven in Egypt. Meanwhile, on that very continent, there are hundreds of thousands, maybe. Of children slaving away to pull cobalt out of the earth, Uh, you know, just so that uh, these children can feel good about themselves and get a nice big uh, feature story and front front stage and have it children centered at COP 27. All right. I guess that's a little bit of a calmer mini gym ranch. Maybe not so (laughs) many. Chris, uh, I'll, I'll leave it over to you now
1: yeah this is absurd i mean first of all you know i i i really am not uh you know in favor of them using children to promote their agenda but these people have no scruples so it does not surprise me that they would uh abuse children to some degree by you know making them uh, puppets for their you know their 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 globalist agenda but as you said jim uh these you know these people are also the the people who are in uh, places like the congo and they are using child labor to uh, mine, you know, lithium and, and these uh, rare earth elements that are necessary in massive amounts for their, you know, batteries and for their, uh, you know, dreams of a grid that runs on solar and wind, which obviously is totally impossible. Uh, but, you know, I, I, on, on another point, you know, I, I, I think that we, we also have to just reject uh, the emotional, uh, you know, tugging that they're trying to uh, do here. By uh, you know marching out these children who you know put up a little picture of the world in a heart and say, "Oh my gosh, you terrible you know adults don't know what you're doing, and you're gonna ruin you know the planet for us." Uh, actually, we're ten times wiser than you. We know much more about this than you you're 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 a child you you, you don't know what you're talking about, and you How know I just, dare I, you. <laughs> I, I just I just wish that we would you know take take more of that kind of a stance like geez, when 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 I was twelve years old, it never, in a million years, would have occurred to me to go up to you know a, a, a group of adults and say, "Let me <laughs> let me lecture you on you know like 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 geophysics or you know some like, like some 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 really complicated topic that you know it takes years and years of instruction and education and uh, you know intelligence to accumulate to, to, to be able to have a you know a, a good conversation about." It. But that just goes to show that you know these people these. Uh, Adults are using them as indoctrination tools and they, you know, are using them to promote their message. And I think that they think over the long term that these people are going to become, you know, automatic uh, voters for their, you know, their their policies. So, you know, I, if it, it, it worries me over the long haul, but, you know, it also just, you know, infuriates me because I think that we do need to have a, you know, a, a, a firm stance against this. You know, th- this is this is just r- ridiculous we're, 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 we're being told how to, how to, uh, you know, uh, come up with public policies from, from a 12 year old in the, the Dominican Republic. Like, give me a break. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, it would seem that that there's a real educational opportunity. This children <laughs> should actually learn about the, the people on earth, their own age who are uh, slaving away for our green future. And, uh, where's their voice? Does anyone, does anyone speak for them? You would think at the United Nations, uh, COP 27, that the children there would speak for those children. Nobody speaks for those children. Uh, nobody speaks for the Uyghurs in slave camps making mm-hmm. solar panels for people uh, for, for for us in the West, so we could virtue signal and put them on our homes. Uh, nobody ever speaks for those people. All we get is this is this propaganda uh, and, and the use of children as 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 moral cudgels. When the real the real you know the real children that are suffering are the, are the people are the children suffering for our green future. Uh, it's just disgusting.
2: We
3: speak for those people. It's just that we get suppressed. That's right.
2: Right. Well, and I cued in right away on the uh, deforestation topic because I've written pretty extensively on this uh, for some of our, um, I guess, one pager papers that I've been writing lately. Uh, One, as an aside quickly, it's emotional blackmail. It's the same thing that they trot Mm -hmm. out with the gun rights issue and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but. I do want to point out one of those girls that say she was from Brazil because that's really interesting because an extremely large portion of the deforestation in Brazil is from ranchers moving their their cattle grazing fields to other areas after they were forced to relinquish parts of it to uh, ethanol biofuel (laughs) production um, of sugarcane. So huge amounts of deforestation is happening due to uh, sugar cane being harvested for biofuels. Um, additionally, in the Balkans, there is a huge amount of deforestation happening um, to satisfy the European hunger for wood pellets for energy. They literally burn wood chips over there um, to run power plants and stuff, which to me is just so backwards. Wow. Like, at least burn coal, burn rocks, you guys. That's at least a step up from uh burning wood chips but but and that's green that's green to them massive deforestation is green to them when it's being applied to green energy initiatives and that's not even getting into the amount of land you need for the wind and solar capacity that they want to install uh it's absolutely insane
0: yeah when the united states uh, when uh Uh, Europeans settled the United States of America, North America, the deforestation was largely due to agriculture. And you need a lot of land uh, to grow enough food for the people here. Of course, uh, technology has made it so that you can grow more and crop resistant and drought resistant food on less and less land. And that's one of the reasons why the deforestation, we actually have more trees uh, in the United States right now than we did at the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries. It's because of the advance of technology and agriculture. Green means one thing, It means the transfer of wealth from productive people to unproductive people worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. And just one thing to wrap this up, and then uh, we got another wrinkle of COP27 to get over. But yet another child uh, uh, quoted in this story, uh, Melissa Obeng-Karia from Ghana. She says she's had a real passion for the environment for as long as she could remember. She's 12 years old. She was taken outside during class on a little field trip to look at the plants and remembered being struck by their beauty and their variety of colors. Uh, And she said she hoped to learn from people in other countries at COP27 and called on world leaders to develop policies that would plant more trees and stop illegal mining. Um, By the way, the mining in uh, the Congo by children is not illegal. It's, uh, It's legal in that country. That's why it continues to go on. Nobody cares. She says, quote, when floods come sometimes, they build gutters right next to your house. So when people are walking... They just throw rubbish into the gutters. So when it rains, there's no space for the water to pass into the soil. So it overflows and enters your home, she said. They should make sure that when people are walking, instead of throwing their rubbish on the floods, they actually put them in the right bins, recycling bins. And then she said brush fires destroy the nutrients in the soil and uh, the animal habitats. And at the end of COP 27, Melissa said she wanted to leave Egypt knowing that decisions made in the negotiation rooms would be implemented, quote, so that we can develop countries and very soon won't hear much about floods entering people's homes and destroying their jobs. Uh, Sam Karnick, uh, <laughs> that, that last quote is the final quote of the story, uh, the money quote there. Uh, we can develop countries and very soon we won't hear much about floods entering people's homes and destroying their jobs. So uh, if we all just go green, that'll change the weather. That's, uh, <laughs> that's fantastic mm-hmm. news. That's certainly what they've been told. That is what they've been told, and it's very interesting, though, that she brings up the
3: subject of people throwing trash into gutters, and that gutters exists. It's those are small problems that could so easily be fixed, and so many of the the things that even the alarmists say would come of uh, global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it today, uh, so many of those things could be fixed in, in if they were to occur can be fixed very easily. You don't have to shut down the entire uh, economy, the entire global economy. Uh, You didn't have to shut it down in order to prevent people from getting a bad cold. You don't have to shut it down in order to prevent people from having water running into their homes from gutters. That's, That's not the way things work. I'll tell you one thing, if you give a lot of money from productive people to unproductive people, That money will go into the hands of people who have political power, and they will exploit those unproductive people. So it just happens that in China, that they um, basically imprison Muslims and use them as slaves, and that in Africa, they're, they're using children to do very hard and difficult and unpleasant work. And these things are all because... Very wealthy, powerful people say, "Yeah, let's do that."
1: Now, well, you, you, Jim, one one last thing, you know, they, sure. they're pushing they're pushing a degrowth agenda, and I mean, an uh, economic degrowth agenda. But the the only solution to you know to these problems, as far as you know they exist, is economic growth. It, it's it's right. you know, spreading economic growth throughout the world. Uh, the United States is the engine of economic growth, and we need to actually be pushing. Our model in places like Africa, because places like Africa are being, uh, you know, pushed into the, the, the China camp and China is making great strides in places like Africa and South America, you know, in uh, pushing these countries into debt to to use them for their resources. So I wish that the United States would have much more of a global outlook on this and say, you know what, the ultimate solution is economic growth.
0: Yeah, uh, a wealthy nation is a clean nation. Uh, It's been that it's that's a truism. You know, the wealthier you are, the less rubbish you have, you know, flowing down the streets during floods. It's just it's just the way it goes. And the the policies pushed at the COP 27 are going to keep more people in poverty for longer. And as we get uh, to the uh, to yet another part of this podcast, we'll learn that that is actually the point. Uh, Sam, as the. uh, as the elder statement on the statesman on the podcast today for once a uh, very rare occasion i'm not the oldest person on the podcast and you have and i'm also not the longest tenured person at heartland on the podcast either uh, that is you uh, by several years on me so congratulations on that uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the the economics of these global uh, climate schemes uh, so again in the show notes there's a story here from reuters cop 27 talks on carbon market market rules off to a slow start. Uh, Countries are far from agreeing on technical details for running global trading and carbon offset credits after one week of talks at the COP27 uh, climate summit in Egypt. Carbon offsets allow countries or companies to pay others to cut greenhouse gas emissions to offset their own. This is great. Uh, While companies are already trading carbon offsets in private markets, the so-called Article 6 of the Paris Agreement would fix rules enabling countries to partly achieve their national climate targets by buying such credits. The hope is that international rules backed by the entire world could attract billions of dollars into carbon cutting projects, but countries have struggled for years to agree on what the rules should look like, what projects should be eligible, and how to ensure they are having a real world Uh, Impact. Uh, Sam, I went to. uh, I think it was COP 15, was it? The one in Paris. I can't remember. I think it was 2012, and that was uh, Al Gore was there, and that was being pushed then. Al Gore uh, tried to set up a carbon trading scheme. Uh, Actually, I think it was based here in Chicago, as a matter of fact, back in the I think mid aughts, uh, 2000s. And uh, that went belly up. I think he still got paid, uh, but that didn't go anywhere. But as this story notes, they've been trying to do this um, for for many, many years. And I'm going to play a clip here. This this clip is from um, a, a former. Uh, let me see. Uh, I'll, I'll identify him later, but he's he's a he's a retired or a former bigwig in the uh, banking system of the United Kingdom, and he is going to explain to us in this clip what uh, successful. Uh, carbon trading finance system looks like. Go ahead and play clip two, Andy.
5: Central banks are also starting to understand nature has real value. Carbon, we already figured out. And carbon is moving very quickly into a system where it's going to be very close to a currency. Basically being able to take a, a, a ton of absorbed or sequestered carbon, and being able to create a forward pricing curve with financial service architecture, documentation. I want to talk about value one more time because the southern part of the world has value far greater than large elements of the northern part. And we start thinking about and putting prices on water, on trees, on biodiversity, we find where does that sit? I'm doing a lot of work out of Asia, and I say that my next-door neighbor, Indonesia, is the left lung of the world, and obviously Brazil's the right, and Africa, absolutely critical, and we need their natural capital as a system-based world more than we need that 66 billion we've got sitting in the basement of the Bank of England. And how do we start tokenizing? How do we start building systems that actually create not only the value, but transfer that value around the world.
0: Building systems, Sam Karnick. It seems to me like a a scheme to transfer wealth from the wealthy Northern Hemisphere to the less wealthy, with Australia accepted, Southern Hemisphere. What's your take on uh, that description of what he sees as an ideal future for us in our financial system? That's exactly what it is, Jim, transfer of wealth, but...
3: It also has a, a nice little angle to it, which is that they can get uh, support from uh, big money people who are who have a lot of money that they've accumulated under the current system and have now pivoted toward a new system in which the wealth of productive people in the north will be given to less productive people in the south and these brokers will skim off a big chunk of it, and that's how it always works. so it in the past, it has been that you would give the money to the government of a to the corrupt government of a, what we used to call third world nations. Now what it is is you just create a system whereby the wealth flows in this oddly seemingly natural way, but there are all these little tributaries that come off of that, that flow of wealth and enrich the very people who put the system in place in the first place and who are the ones who financially support the politicians who uh, – uh, put these put these policies in place in in legal terms mm-hmm. but what's interesting about that if you think about it is it's a much better deal for them than it used to be used to be you go all around the world and find these individual politicians and you'd have to pay them off and and you'd have to give a, a, you know a big a solid gold Cadillac to some uh, you know corrupt uh, politician in a third world country whereas nowadays you just create a system and you siphon off some dough and everybody's happy right we're all happy eating bugs and freezing right
0: yeah i, I want to move through this topic quickly but yeah it, it's a scam uh our commenters here in the uh on the live youtube stream are mentioning that uh i don't you can't vouch for it but that al gore made 300 million dollars on his carbon uh trading scheme here in chicago uh i think he's probably the only one who made money on that him and his him and his buddies but uh the idea of carbon Right. They mean carbon dioxide, of course, carbon dioxide emissions, being a currency of some sort,
2: Linnea? Um, for now. <laughs> for now, the the idea is just based on carbon dioxide, but it's other things as well. They're right. expanding it to methane. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they expanded it to other things, too. Nitrogen is another one that um, I have a feeling they're going to start talking about a lot more. Um I think that it might be somewhat of a mistake to frame this as the productive versus the unproductive, because what it is, is essentially it's paying people to not industrialize. It's while also still, as we discussed earlier, um, mining their resources, just not letting them do it. We are going to take your lithium and your cobalt, and we're going to pave the world with solar panels, um, but you cannot build a coal plant or a natural gas plant. That's what it is. And I mark my words. They're already talking about it. They have been talking about it for years. This carbon trading system stuff was never intended to stay at the national level. Never, never, never. It has always been intended to be applied to the individual. So there is a policy framework that they want to implement That would involve you going to the grocery store and wanting to buy a couple of steaks for dinner. And it says, when you swipe your card, it says, whoops, no, you can't do that. Because you already bought steak earlier this week, or you spent too much money on gasoline earlier this week, your carbon credits are up. um, And meat is a high carbon intensive um, product. So you can't have that. It's it, it that is 100% what they intend to do. And anyone who is trying to shy away from that fact <laughs> is not seeing the bigger picture here. It's the same thing with our crusade against ESG. Um, if ESG is applied to corporations and countries, they absolutely intend to apply it against individuals, which is why they all have such a huge interest in um, getting rid of anonymity online and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, all of this stuff is meant to be at the personal level and at the personal level, it's a lot harder for you and me to cheat a system like this, but these politicians and the governments can cheat a carbon trading system all they want. I was laughing last week. I gave an example of a real life carbon trading scam that happened in Europe. Um, when they implemented some of this in the United Nations or the European Union, I guess. Um, And basically Ukraine and Russia said, cool. And they invented an infinite carbon money making machine by like burning trash and increasing their emissions on purpose and then reducing them back to where they were before and just printing (laughs) these things. And I find it hilarious because it's cheating the system and I don't like that system. So it's funny, but, but you and I aren't going to be able to do something like that. Mm -mm. It's, it's absolutely terrible. Um, And then they, the European union didn't learn their lesson from it. They kept that stuff in place. They just wagged their finger at them and said, Hey, that's not fair. That's cheating. Yeah. Uh, But they still have those systems
0: yeah, they do. I mean, Chris quickly, and we can get on to uh, some of the other topics here, but uh, you know this is anti-freedom and anti-market this entire uh, this entire thing. It's not left to our own devices, free people wouldn't choose any of this stuff. It all has to be imposed upon us uh, by our betters who have guns and the power over us.
1: well, i I just want to build a little bit off of what Linnea was saying because I completely agree that the grand plan of these people is to come up with a carbon footprint uh, app to track uh, people's carbon footprints. And uh, this relates to our next topic because the Great Reset has come out f- in, in favor of this big time. And Al Gore and a bunch of you know the people who are at COP27 are actively building apps that can do this because this would give them ultimate power. This would give them unprecedented power because they could say, OK, you're using too much gasoline. You need to stop traveling so much. You need to do this. You can't you know, buy meat blah, on and on and on. It is the ultimate tool of control and i have a very strong feeling that this won't be applied to people like john Kerry and Leonardo dicaprio who will fly around in private chats spewing more carbon dioxide in one you know one day than i do in years so i'm just so sick and tired of the do as i say not as i do hypocrisy of you know of these people we just need to ignore them
0: yeah well uh that that does that's a nice segue into our last uh, couple topics here and that is uh our, our favorite uh, real-life Bond villain, Klaus Schwab, was at uh, the G20. So there's two big global conferences going on at once. Uh, this is dubbed the B20 because this is mostly focused on, uh, uh, instead of the top the top 20 economies in the world, which is what the G20 would be. This would be, you know, the B20. So these are the uh, corporate overlords who uh, love it when they can work hand in hand with government to make sure that they have market monopoly power. And always get rich, and uh, even when they give people what they don't want, which is uh, what the whole climate agenda is all about. But uh, Andy, why don't you just go ahead? Uh, th- these are actually two clips uh, pulled together. The first is Klaus Schwab from May of this year, and then the second part of the clip is him uh, just last week uh, at the uh, at the big confab in Bali. Go ahead, Andy. Play clip th- three, please.
6: Also, be clear: the future is not just happening; the future is built by us. Excellencies, distinguished participants of this very important meeting. First, of course, if you look at all the challenges, we can speak about a multi crisis an economic, a political, a social, an ecological, an institutional crisis. But actually, what we have to confront is a deep, systemic, and structural restructure of our world. And this will take some time, and the world will look different after we've gone through this transition process. Politically, the driving forces for this political formation is the transition into a multipolar world which has a tendency to make our world much more fragmented
0: so chris talgo the great reset is a myth uh, there is no uh, world economic forum it doesn't actually exist uh, and they don't have any plans to reorder the way we live uh, that's that's what uh, that's why i think we're probably gonna i think the great reset label might win today uh, on this one because of what i just said Well, you hear that, uh, Chris Talgo, what is your reaction to hearing, again, out in the open, Klaus Schwab just stating practically, and let's also, one quick reminder, he's not an elected official, he is not the head of any state, Uh, he is given this platform to lecture the heads of states around the world, and to make sure that they're all coordinated to do, apparently, his bidding. Go ahead, Chris.
1: Yeah, you know... many many uh, institutions here in america are coming out and claiming that there is no such thing as the great reset such as pull it a fact and i just read a, a couple articles claiming that the entire great reset conspiracy theory is totally moot and just move on no actually actually all you got to do is go to their website and listen to these people's speeches because they are laying out in their own words exactly what they want to do and they want to restructure our economy from you know free market capitalism to what they call shareholder or state from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism which really means stakeholder collectivism and in the process they want to you know make themselves richer than you know anyone ever has been and more powerful than anyone ever has been and they are using these giant multinational corporations to do their bidding and they are using you know uh, governments especially uh, Justin Trudeau in Canada and you know even the United States to some degree now to implement these you know, policies that the people in these countries don't want. It's in it, and, and it's it goes against what we want. It goes against, you know, our our nature and it goes against human nature. And I'm just, you know, really frustrated that every time you call them out for this kind of stuff, like, you know, we've written articles and articles and articles where we are quoting them verbatim. The mainstream media comes out and says, "Oh, that's just you know th- these are just right wing you know you know crazy people who are talking about a non-existent you know uh, great reset conspiracy theory." It's, it's it's there and they are speaking in public about this stuff and they are putting it out there for all of us to see and hear.
0: Yeah, uh, we we have just limited time left here on uh, on the podcast today. I've linked several stories in the show notes to this, uh, either if you're listening on the podcast or if you're watching on YouTube, so you can read some of these terrific stories to talk about these subjects. Uh, I want to wrap up with the uh, seven minutes we have left. I want to make sure we get this clip in. This this is a clip from that same uh, G20 or B20, whatever you want to call it, conference in Bali, Indonesia. Uh, This is uh, just yet another uh, revelation of what uh, the global elite's plan for us, uh, this is Budi Gunadi Sadika. He's the Indonesian health minister, and he's explaining in this clip how a global health passport, a uh, global health passport, will work for the next pandemic. Play clip four, please, Andy. <laughs>
4: have a digital health certificate acknowledged by WHO. If you have been vaccinated or tested properly, then you can move around. So for the next pandemic, instead of stopping the movement of the people 100%, which clogged the economy globally, you know, you can still provide some movement of the people. So hopefully for the next pandemic, we can still see some movement of the people, some movement of the goods, and movement of the economy. Did he also mention that
1: the vaccine doesn't work? Did did he mention that?
0: Oh, get us banned again, Chris. Thanks for
1: that. Well, I'm just uh, saying, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> just, just saying, I mean, well, it,
0: it's it's the it's the hubris of the assumptions of these. I'm going to throw it to Sam <laughs> first. But uh, it's first of all, uh, I, when I heard this, when I heard that clip the other day, I, I thought to myself, what? The, one of the things that struck out to me was the next pandemic. <laughs> yeah. A- ask ask anybody alive today to name one pandemic other than covid. In the last one hundred and fifty years, can they even name one if they can name any? They'll say the Spanish flu of 1918. That's a true pandemic. Uh, they are already planning for the next pandemic, and they will call whatever they want the next pandemic. AIDS, for instance, was not a pandemic, uh, but they would call it. They would call something like that a pandemic and lock us down. And so we, so it's presented as if, oh my gosh, this is great news, guys! Get yourself a global health passport that will be digital. It could be traced and tracked and shared with anybody because you know nothing is secure, and uh, we'll track your movements and we'll let you move around. That way we won't have a total shutdown. All you got to do if you want to if you want to live any life, all you got to do is, is get a global uh, pandemic passport, global health passport, and we'll let you move around. It's great. So we got it handled, guys. Next time this happens, it's not going to be like last time because we're all going to get registered. Sam Karnick, save me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, the COVID-19 was uh, both a threat and a promise. It was say it was a way of saying, "Look, if you don't get in line, this is what it what it looks like—a horrific depression." And then we had a very fast recovery uh, because usually uh, big recessions cause quick recoveries, big recoveries. Um, but what they're saying there is now is that, "Okay, that could happen, but if you'll get in line." If you'll take, if you'll take your pills, if you take your, excuse me, if you'll take your shot, and if you will um, do as we tell you, you can travel. You can, you can be part of this uh, wonderful uh, global economy that we're building. Um, it's, a, it's a threat and a promise, as I say. It was showing us what they could do if they want to, that they can just move us back to before the industrial revolution and make us live in the 18th century again, or for those who will cooperate, for those who have good uh, social value numbers, whatever you want to call that, um, those who are part of us, you can can thrive and you will thrive. So it is a threat in that regard saying, if you don't play the game, you're going to starve, literally starve. If you do play the game, utopia.
0: Yeah. I mean, Linnea, you know, this kind of idea and it's just that it's the banality of of, of the way they say it is just just so matter of fact. And with a smile on their face, treating not us, each of us as human beings, individual human beings with lives and desires and wants uh, and plans. But as every single human being becomes a only in the eyes of the government, a vector of disease, a bag of a, a bag of infection. It's, it's, it's the most anti-human thing I've ever heard. And it's said over and over again.
2: Right. And to their neighbors as well. So this is there. Uh, it's unbelievable that there's still this fetish about getting people vaccinated after it's been shown that it does not stop transmission or the severity of symptoms. That's a completely ridiculous claim to make. Um, so it really is all about control and, and, You're right. It it is dehumanizing. And for them, that's kind of the point. Um, These people are communist, (laughs) at least, uh, if not something a little bit more modern, a little bit worse, probably. Um, They truly believe that they are correct. They really think that that if only they were left to pull all the levers and they were able to control everything that every little peon does, that there would be a heaven on earth type of situation, you know, utopia, and there would be all this equality or equity rather for them. um, And that it would, you know, there would never be poverty or anything again on earth. It's not going to happen. Um, And we've seen time and time again throughout history that it leads to mass famine and death. And eventually um, it comes for all of them as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, Chris, I'll leave you to wrap it up. Let's see if you can do a better job than Linnea for getting us banned.
2: Well, no, I mean,
1: Linnea hit the nail right on the head. But I think this is, you know, a uh, a, a modern version of, you know, central uh, planning and, you know, central eyes control, the Soviet Union class, because eventually they couldn't control the population as much as they could during the Stalinist era. But with something like a, va- a vaccine passport and, you know, a carbon, uh, uh, you know, footprint app, they could exert unprecedented control, literally over our movement. So I think that they, like this just has to be completely rejected by the people. If you value freedom and you value literally the freedom to go to the grocery store or to go on a vacation, you better reject this stuff in full because it's coming. And they they laid the groundwork for this in 2020, and they've already said the next pandemic. That shows that they're already thinking ahead, and they will. They you know. They, they will try to implement this. We must fight back against this.
0: Yeah, I mean, pandemics used to be a once in a generation, if that uh, occurrence, and now they apparently think there's going to be pandemics every, I don't know, maybe every year, as many as it takes, I guess, to get us all to comply. Uh, on that happy note, thank you very much for listening to this edition of the In The Tank podcast uh, put on by the Heartland Institute. If you are not yet a subscriber to either our audio only or this video podcast on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Be sure to like this uh, this episode and also share it with your friends. As I said earlier, it helps us get around the evil leftist algorithm that keeps voices like ours and yours suppressed. Uh Christalgo, where can the people find you?
1: Uh, go to StoppingSocialism.com. We've got a really good report coming out really soon about how socialists candidates did in the 2022 midterm elections. And I hate to say it, but they did very well. So I think uh, 84% of them uh, won election.
0: Yeah. Great news. Sam Karnick, you're also the editor-in-chief of the Heartland Daily News website. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, at STKarnick at all the major places and heartlanddailynews.com. Excellent. And Linnea, where can people find you? Uh,
2: you can find me on Twitter at, at Linnea Lucan. I have it in my little handle there in the corner. Um, I also write at climaterealism.com. So if you want, you know, daily updates on um you know, refutations of stuff that's going on in the news regarding climate and energy, that's where you will find it.
0: Excellent. Thank you. And you can always find me at Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. That'll do it for today. We will talk to you next week.